All right, here is the guiding question for worship this morning. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Banana bread, because it's Sunday morning? What's your soul hungry for? What's your mind hungry for? What are you hungry for? And before I have Jonathan and Luke read the passage, the scripture for today, I want to reorient ourselves in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 6, and this is the third of four sermons in this chapter. It's a pretty long chapter. There's a lot going on, and especially this morning. So here's where we are. Remember, in the first part of chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on the hill along the side, the shore of Galilee, and there was a miracle feeding of 5,000 people using small barley loaves and sardine-sized fish. And the crowd gathered there was so taken by what the way that Jesus fed them that they decided, in verse 14, um, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. So Jesus is withdrawn. And then last week, we talked about what happened. The, Jesus, uh, the disciples went on ahead of him that night on a boat Um, We're not sure exactly where they were, but they were going toward Capernaum, and they were rowing the boat, and they were having a hard time. They had to go about six miles, we think. So on water, I looked it up, six miles on water is about if you went from Weed Beach to Calf Pasture Point. So they're going about that far on the water. The water got really rough, and Jesus went out to see them, and they were afraid. Why? Because he was walking on water, and people generally don't do that. And so he was talking with them about their fears. And what he said to them is, I am. It's just me. I am. And Pastor Greg reminded us last week that him saying that, I am, would have sounded very familiar to them, almost as an echo of what God said to Moses in the burning bush when Moses asked, who do I say sent me? And God said, I am. I am who I will be. So anytime you hear this, I am, and you hear Jesus saying, I am, we have to pay attention because he's telling us who he is as the second person of the Trinity. Meanwhile, the crowd is trying to figure out where Jesus went. Let's have some love for the crowd, shall we? (laughs) I was asking our staff this week, what was it that the crowd wanted? What were they hungry for? What did they crave What did this crowd want? Well, they wanted release. They wanted freedom from the fear of Rome. They literally wanted food. They were hungry. Healing, they were looking for. Did they want entertainment? Did they want something new? Remember, they were also under the weight of their religious leaders and the very heavy laws. They did not want Jesus to just slip away. They knew that this man was offering something amazing, and they wanted in. They wanted a good leader. So they were pursuing him, and when they realized the next morning that he wasn't there and that his disciples had left on a boat, 
Well, they found some boats, and they commandeered them, and they went after him to Capernaum, and they found him in the synagogue. I was talking to my husband about this today, and he said, I'm picturing like a Monty Python television skit where you see all those little guys going, and they're just following him around. Hey, where are you going? Hey, where are you going? Hey, where are you going? We want to be near you. We know you're doing something. And they found him in the Capernaum in the synagogue, and that's where we pick up our reading for today. As Jonathan and Luke come up to read, I want you to pay attention There's a lot going on in this passage, and today we're going to explore the manna and bread of life, and I want you to notice, and if you can, count how many times Jesus refers to himself as bread or manna or bread from heaven. Then we're going to explore our own hunger for Christ. Here comes the word. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard this Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. 
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke and Jonathan. Did you count how many times he said, I'm the bread, I'm the bread, I'm the bread? I don't know if I have the right counting, but I counted at least five times. There's definitely a main point that Christ wants to get across to those in the, temp- in the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry. 38, I have come down from heaven like manna. Verse 48, I am the bread of life, better than the manna that Moses and God gave to your ancestors in the desert. 50, here is the bread that comes down from heaven. You can almost see him saying it, here is the bread that comes down from heaven. And verse 51, I am the living bread. This bread is my flesh. Eat my flesh. Not very subtle, is it? This is the first of the official I am statements in John's gospel. And Jesus here is showing people the mantle of the authority that he has as the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity. I am, as we mentioned, echoes back to the name of God in Exodus. I am who I am. I am who I will be. Translated into Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, as ego eimi, which is exactly what he's saying, ego eimi. I am. I am the bread of life. Before we get too stuck in eat my flesh, it's a metaphor. (laughs) It's a metaphor. Remember he's talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3 and Nicodemus thinks he has to go back into the womb and be born again? Metaphor. (laughs) He tells the woman at the well, I am the living water. Metaphor. But important metaphor, and we'll talk about that next week. It certainly is provocative. All right, let's have a little more love for the crowd for a moment. (laughs) This is a group of people who knew their Torah. They knew the story of Exodus, the Exodus from slavery in Egypt inside out. On Tuesday mornings, the women in Bible studies have been studying and working our way through Exodus. Do you remember this pivotal story of God's people? They'd been enslaved in Egypt for generations hundreds of years. God set them free, and they came through the Red Sea, which was parted for them on the way to the Promised Land. But before they got to the Promised Land, they spent 40 years where? In the wilderness, in the Sinai wilderness. There were a lot of people there. And in the wilderness, they had to learn how to be free. And that takes time to learn how to be free. And there were a lot of them. 
and they had nothing to eat. How did God feed God's people when they were learning how to be free in the wilderness? Manna, manna, thank you. Somebody, manna. Especially those of you who are in the Bible study. (laughs) In Exodus 16, they've come out, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they're really hungry. And instead of saying, hey, Moses, you who over here were hungry, this is how they say it. They say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. At least there, we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you, Moses, you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. (laughs) And then God sent manna. And what was manna? Manna literally translated means, what is this? It's almost like they ate whatchamacallit every day. It came down with the dew in the morning, probably looked a little bit like cornflakes. And people were to gather only what they needed for the day, unless it was the eve of Sabbath. It was a sign of God's provision. It was a sign of God's care. The people were hungry, and God provided for them. God filled them. God met their physical needs. Manna sustained God's people in the wilderness for 40 years. And the piece of manna was ordered to be put in the Ark of the Covenant, in the holy of holy places in the temple. When Jesus says, I am the manna sent down from God, he's saying, I'm the holiest of holies. It's kind of amazing. But even with the provision, people in the wilderness wanted more. Manna wasn't enough for them. In Numbers 11, we read of this episode of the rabble rising up. In verse 4, it says this, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Can you see it? But now we've lost our appetite, and we never see anything but this manna. Manna, manna, manna all we ever have. So, what did God do then? Oh, he sent a big strong wind and the quail came and they were up to everybody's knees about for miles and miles on end. And the people in the wilderness and the desert learning how to be free, they had their fill of quail so much that they got sick and some of them died. God let them have what they were craving and it killed them. And in Numbers, we read that they were buried at Kilbroth and Hatarakai. I'm looking at Greg for the pronouncements of that. But literally, that means they were buried in graves of craving. What God provided for them was enough. But they were craving something that was bad for them, and they ended up being buried in graves of craving. Now, before we get too judgy about the rabble, about this crowd in Numbers and Exodus, we are a lot like them. The crowd wanted more. (laughs) They think that they want more of Jesus, but Jesus knows better. They want more in their bellies. They want more of a show. They want somebody who they think will take over. They want more of what they've given them. And here he's saying back to them, it's not me you're looking for. You're here because you had your fill yesterday. He's saying, don't bury yourselves in the graves of craving. 
the more that you need, it's me, it's me, he's saying, I'm the thing. I'm what you need. It's not about signs and wonders. I'm not a sideshow, Jesus is saying. I'm not here to entertain you or to fulfill your cravings. I am. It's about me. He's saying to them, you're settling for too little. Come and allow me to fill you. Tolian Chavidian is a preacher, and he wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. I'm not going to quote the book. I just think the title's great. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I am the bread of life. I am the manna that's come down from heaven, offered to you for your sustenance. You need nothing else. But the crowd, we want extra, don't we? We want Jesus to be a guru, a teacher. We want him to say, learn from me, follow me, believe in me, understand me. And he does say these things. But in this chapter, he's saying even more. Consume me. Eat me. It kind of sounds funny even to say from the pulpit. It's a weird thing that he says. I will be enough for you. Be sustained by me. Digest me. Depend on me. Our lives are full, and yet we remain unfulfilled. Jesus is here saying, let me be the one who fulfills. This passage had me thinking this week about the difference between craving and hunger, about how we say that we're hungry for Christ, we're hungry for that manna, but we complain as if Jesus in and of himself is not enough. We crave what's not going to satisfy We know this famous saying from Augustine, our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. He also said this, Christ is the bread awaiting hunger. Isn't that good? Christ is the bread awaiting our hunger. So, what's the difference between craving and hunger? At the end of a long day, my body is usually really tired and ready to go to sleep. It's hungry for sleep, but... Do I go to bed? No. I sit in front of the television because I crave entertainment that drains me, that does not fill me. I might sit in front of the TV for an hour or two, filling my craving or trying to instead of meeting my hunger for sleep. And like the Israelites, we're not always hungry for the food that nourishes us, like manna, but we want chips and brownies and pizza. I could eat popcorn for dinner every night, I think. We all could fill in our own blanks there. Here's what the Mayo Clinic says, because I had lots of time this week to look it up. The Mayo Clinic says this about the difference between craving and hunger. Mayo Clinic says this, you can have cravings even when you're full. And usually it's for comfort foods like chocolate, sweets, fatty foods. And often cravings are caused by negative feelings. And they lead to eating that makes you feel good at first, but then guilty. They also said cravings will pass with time. And yet, cravings can be impossible to satisfy. Cravings can masquerade as hunger, as we crave for status or wealth or esteem or power or control, the things that taste good but that won't fulfill us. These cravings, they lie to us. The more we give into or entertain our cravings, the more we are made to be ungrateful people. 
entitled. Instead of being full, somehow we're empty. That's craving. Mayo Clinic talks about hunger. Hunger usually occurs when you haven't eaten for a few hours or more. That seems right, right? Results in a rumbling stomach, a headache, a feeling of weakness. Hunger does not pass with time. A craving might. Hunger isn't just for one specific food. And here's the most important thing. Hunger can be satisfied. Hunger can be satisfied. So here's a question that we asked at the beginning for each of us to ask ourselves. What, am I, what are you hungry for and what do you crave? Jesus is not telling us not to have desire, not to have hunger. He's actually more profound than that. Christ wants us to change our cravings for unhealthy things into healthy hunger so that we can be satisfied. He doesn't leave us hanging. Debbie Thomas is an Episcopal pastor in California, and she approaches the hunger question this way. She says, asking herself, do I feel in my gut that Jesus is elemental provision? That Jesus is what I need. Not an appetizer, not dessert, not an occasional supplement, but essential everyday food without which I would starve and die. Do I feel that way about Jesus? In this chapter, Jesus is inviting the crowd to recognize the hunger beneath their cravings. Of course they're hungry for literal bread. They're poor. And their food is scarce and they need to feed themselves and their families. And there's nothing wrong or substandard or unspiritual about physical hunger. Remember, Jesus tended to the bodily needs of these people. He attended to those first without reservation, without preconditions. But he didn't stop there. Instead, he asked the crowds to probe into their deeper soul hungers, not cravings, that drive them restlessly into his presence, hunger that only the bread of heaven can satisfy. So, what are some of our God-fillable hungers? We all have them. A hunger for meaning, for purpose, connection, communion, intimacy, love a desire to know and be known authentically, a hunger for delight and for joy, for creative engagement with the world in all of its complexity and mystery and beauty and an ongoing need, hunger for healing and for wholeness and for courage in the face of fear. Unlike the craving for unhealthy things, a hunger for what Christ can give us and an acceptance of Christ to fill us up, that leads us to gratitude and to joy, and to being the people we were created to be. So do I really trust that Jesus is my bread? 20th century American middle-class woman saying this is kind of funny, isn't it? We're all afraid of bread right now. None of us want to eat gluten. <laughs> it's a cultural context. We have to talk about <laughs> your laugh. Thank you for laughing. Here, bread is it's made of wheat. It's what they needed. These people were hungry. I don't think they knew about a glucose-free diet. What Jesus wants to be is our essential sustenance. Sometimes, Jesus is not an essential sustenance. 
but only an abstraction or a creed or a set of rituals that I do every once in a while. Pleasant, but optional. Why? Well, if I'm honest, it's because I don't come hungry. I don't recognize my daily, hourly dependence on God's generosity. I just don't expect to be fed by God. Also, I don't want to be needy like the crowds. Christ offers to fill us. And we do become full of the Holy Spirit when you allow it in. I heard a Bruce Springsteen song this weekend. I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan, but I heard this song. It's called Devils and Dust, and the chorus says this, Fear's a powerful thing, baby. It'll take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. Fear is a powerful thing. I would say cravings are a powerful thing. They'll take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. We settle for less. We settle for less. In worship on Sundays, we have a way of naming this good hunger and coming back again and again, month after month, to the bread of life to acknowledge that while we've given over our God-filled soul over and over again to cravings and filled it with devils and dust, we can come back to the table every month. We can say, sorry, God. Remind me that I'm hungry for you. It's the awesome thing about this. The most amazing thing about this passage, I think, is that Jesus in this chapter tells us what we have to do. He says, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures. And the people say, well, what are we supposed to do? Expecting a big list of things. What does Jesus say? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I am that one. I am the bread of life. And that bread of life, he continued his ministry. And a year or so later, he was at table with his disciples. And he'd already told them that he was the bread of life, but they didn't get it. And he said, you had to eat my flesh. And that's kind of all about him being the Passover lamb. And it's Passover here. And he invites his disciples. And he invites us to be hungry for him. And to confess the places where we've craved things that won't fill us. So, friends, we're doing it a little differently this way. This, this morning, I'm inviting you to this table. Christ is inviting us to this table. As we say yes to the bread of life, we say that we believe. So I invite you to stand and to reaffirm with me what it is that we believe when we gather around this table. And I'm looking for it on the screen. Awesome. Let's, let's confess our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.